Hey everybody, this is Matthew Kraus, and you are listening to another episode of the podcast Working Drummer. Today I get a chance to sit down and talk to one of my oldest friends, Josh Berkheimer. Josh has a super diverse skill set that allows him to adapt to any situation and tackle any style of music from Latin and jazz to heavy rock and country. During his 15 years in Nashville, Josh toured and recorded with many groups and artists and continues to stay busy in and around the Denver area as a player and teacher since his move there in 2011. To find out more about this episode and other episodes we've recorded, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can follow us on Twitter at working underscore drummer. We are also on Instagram, and you can find us on iTunes. If you like what you hear, you can leave us a review and you can rate the podcast. And also we have a YouTube channel. You can find us under Working Drummer Podcast. We just have a handful of videos with more to come. So let's get right to it. Here is Josh Berkheimer. You were telling me about Sutter. Yeah. At Bush Gardens. Yeah. So you were there. <laughs> yeah. When, when was that? This would have been uh, summer of um, 92, and I had just finished a year at school at University of Kentucky. Uh, I know Jason was still at uh, North Texas, Mm -hmm. and um, so, you know, we got to have quite a few hangs over the summer. Uh, It was always, my show was during the day, his was at night, Mm -hmm. so a lot of times we would hang out in the park after the show just to go and watch him play, watch the band play. And uh, those of us that uh, enjoy jazz, which there were some of us there. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was really a, uh, that was a fun show to get to watch. Uh, it's very unfortunate. I was back at Bush Gardens a couple of years ago for a big reunion of live entertainment folks. And... There's really not much live entertainment there, uh, which is very unfortunate because I think Jason would probably agree that it was a pretty cool summer job to have. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably not something you'd want to do <laughs> for your entire career, um, but certainly was a uh, was a fun summer experience. Um, I made a couple of connections through that that really – I think really led me to kicking down some doors to get my career going to begin with. So well, that's good to know because a lot of people use either those types of gigs or cruise ship gigs mm-hmm. to get started and to meet people. And yeah. everyone kind of has the same end goal. But when your expenses are low, your responsibilities are low, yeah. then you can take time to go do those things. And, yeah. you know, you've got band leaders that are making demands on you as far as, you know, running the show mm-hmm. from a drummer's perspective, being strong, counting in, closing, you know, it may not be the most glamorous thing, but if you can command a band in that type of situation and, and play with cues and all that stuff, then I think you're ahead of the curve. I think the other thing that the Bush Gardens thing kind of trains you for, because it's a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit of musician's boot camp in the sense that you have to go out five or six times a day and play the same 30 minutes of music mm-hmm and be consistent uh, with decent energy Mm -hmm. every single time, delivering it as if it's the first time you've played it. Right. And when you think about an entire season there, I think we played over 800 
shows, you know, over the course of seven or eight months, uh, it ends up to where I think for months after my first season there, I could sit down at the drums and play the show verbatim without any other music around me at all, just because it was so ingrained in my muscle memory and obviously in my mind, which was uh, interesting. But it definitely was the the place where I felt like I was able to then, it led into the cruise ship thing, um, which also, it also led me to uh, to Nashville, because quite frankly, I was not listening to country music in my house growing up, as mm-hmm. you well know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, when I got hired to be the, the drummer for the country show, I was a little bummed. Uh, <laughs> I really was. But I think the beauty of what it did was it made me realize that um, – Nobody wanted to hear me play Dave Weckl licks <laughs> at that time. Ever or no? <laughs> yeah, probably ever. Yeah, I I think it it really it it honed my um, awareness of 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 uh, two and four, and uh, right, right. I saw a um, I saw a post earlier this week uh, from Larry London's son. Saying one of his uh, Larry's famous phrases was two and four through the floor. <laughs> two and four through the floor. I like that. Man. And I did too. I just thought, you two know, and four, two when, and four through the floor. Yeah. When I get an opportunity to to go and 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 share a clinic atmosphere for folks, I will usually, of course, come out and take a a solo where you demonstrate all the things you know on a set of drums. And for me, that takes about 10 seconds. Uh, after I'm done with that, I get up and I tell everybody now, this is really what I do for a living. And I sit down at the drums and I play yeah. a basic rock beat because yeah, yeah. the awareness that that's what 99% of the time is what's going to be required right, of right, you is just right. provide a solid groove and tempo and make everybody feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's obviously our number one job. And, um, um, you know the 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 uh, I probably have to give Eddie Bears a lot of credit because at mm. that that point in the early '90s, he and Lonnie Wilson were oh, yeah. playing, and Paul, for that matter, mm-hmm. were playing on the bulk of the records yeah. coming out Paul of Nashville. Line. Right. So my awareness of where and how important two and four was to that became mm-hmm. great. Oh yeah. Um, and and my love then for country grew out of that. Uh, well, and you had moved, and so, I just want to—I just want to back up real quick yeah. and tell people. Well, first of all, we're at Copper Mountain. Um, yes. I had an opportunity to be up here for the day, doing a couple shows. And um, you live in Denver, so you fought the traffic to be up here. And <laughs> so this is going to be a short interview because I have yeah. sound checking about—I've sound checking half an hour, oh, a little bit more than that. But um, <laughs> you and I, for people that don't know, you and I go back to. Yes fourth grade yes what I is that so. what is that um 10 years old yeah i think so so Nine, i don't ten, think yeah. anybody except my parents have known me as long as <laughs> you literally knew me before i picked up a pair of sticks my friend yeah i wanted to just be yeah. in the band with my friends and i thought right. give me a mallet i'll hit the bass drum <laughs> or cymbals and then you were there as well and were already well into it lessons and were reading and and uh were playing with sticks hmm you know? Yeah, instead of a bass drum mallet. Instead of a bass drum, with, yeah. with, with one in each hand. Yeah, well, amazing. amazing. You know, and and so I was like, 
man, if that Yahoo can do it, I can do it. <laughs> um, no, I know I don't have a I don't have a so we we both grew up in Columbus. We went to different well, we went to the same school for a while, then we went to different yeah. high schools and different colleges and then we've just our lives have fortunately connected and intersected at times, yeah. which is great. Um, and you're one of the friends that I had in Nashville that said, "Hey, come on down." Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but at the same time there was that early watching you play and, and going, oh, cool. I'd like to do that too. Mm. And then high school and then getting like really into it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, being a, a sophomore in high school and playing in jazz band. And then we'd go do these jazz festivals and your fucking band would show up <laughs> and you would play this solo and you would win the solo award amidst the jazz band competition with saxophone players blowing solos and trumpet players and all these people. And here you come out, drum, like, oh, I'm going to see my friend Josh. I'm going to show him some new swing and big band stuff that I've been learning <laughs> and hang. No, you didn't allow me to hang. Aww. You did these solos. And, went, and I was like, I, I would leave with my tail between my legs. And yet I'm thinking, you know what? This is a good thing because this guy is my friend and I know this guy. And I know what a cool person he is. And so it lit a fire under me. Go home, get over it, mm-hmm. and get to work. You know? Mm. So is as it knocked me down a peg to, to watch you. And I'd say, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And I could not let you see that. I'm like, oh, that killed me. <laughs> but but, but be having that friendship yeah. just it reinforced, no, 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 this is good. Yeah. Watch him. Learn, go home, do it. You've got time. Yeah. Not much, but you have time <laughs> to get it together before college auditions or gigs or other things that were really, you know, really happening. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, in my little world, I was the best drummer in that class. Right. You know, that I, I that wanted to do the jazz band, maybe I right, should say. Right. That, sure. that, you know. Um, so I mean that doesn't fare very much, but I mean I, there wasn't a lot of competition for I, that's what I should say. Um, so, anyways, so that brings everyone up to speed with with where you're at. And um, so, tell me, you were in Columbus. Your dad's mm-hmm. a musician. Yeah, yeah. That was a um, that was a real a real blessing. Uh, I don't think I I fully appreciated it until probably much after the whole experience and after I'd even left Columbus, uh, um, you know, the, the times I would be in the basement trying to work on things and then I would hear the door open and him coming down the stairs, I'd be like, ah, crap, why won't he just let me play my records and play along to him instead of coming down here to show me stuff? Well, you know, the things he was showing me were the things that enabled me to gig to this day. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing how to play a good bossa nova. Yeah. You don't do it very often. Yeah. But if you get called, you know, if I get a call, I played a, a little jazz trio gig a week ago at the Broadmoor down in the Springs, which is a really nice mm-hmm. place. And, um, uh, you know, we played a lot of those kind of jazz standards, of course, bossa novas and rumbas and cha-chas and all that crap. And it was my dad showing me that when I was yep. a little kid that, you know, I, there probably are folks out there that don't even know what those grooves are and they need to probably be aware of them because it's quite frankly, I cross pollinate all that stuff into what I do anymore. I think that's the important thing is people say, well, I'm never going to use that. But I think that there is that 
what'd you say cross pollinate yeah i just figure fields. figure out how to apply it to whatever it is i may be doing and trying to do it in a way that's musical but then i also do get called still to do the straight up this is a rumba play it like a rumba <laughs> mm-hmm. right, right right but i i do enjoy and i think this has been uh, the way that music has gone over the last 20 years is is everything is kind of blended in together anyway. Sure. I, I think initially it was called world music or something like yeah. that. But yeah. now um, anything is fair game. And I do enjoy artists that take that approach. Yeah. I yeah. think anymore um, limiting yourself to one particular style or groove or feel is uh, – that blows. <laughs> I'd much rather have somebody come to me going, this tune's kind of really different than the last one I brought to you, and yeah. here's what it is. Um, well, there's more than just gigs where those skills are applicable. Yeah. Teaching sure. being one of them. Um, in the studio is mm-hmm. another one. Um, unless you're recording an original project with your music or your band's music, um, if your job or your or you want it to be your job to be a session drummer, mm-hmm. have those styles ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know, because you Absolutely. never know if a country songwriter wants to come in and wants a bossa feel hmm. on a particular song. Mm-hmm. You know, or wants it. You know, so you just you, you can't predict what it's what when it's going to be. Well, I, I do have to say, when I was in Nashville, I was the guy usually running the session that was saying, okay, guys, this is kind of like a bossa nova feel. <laughs> I, I do just have to mention my my uh, my ex-wife uh, was very into Latin music. And uh, so when I was in Nashville there with her, a lot of the projects that we would work on would have that kind of flavor to it. And I do remember one particular engineer uh, when I went in to do my percussion overdubs, I broke out my guiro to put down a guiro part. Yeah, and he thought you were making cheese or something. Yeah, well, unfortunately, over my, you know, over the, the headphones, I hear, now what's that thing called again? A guiro? <laughs> and I truly just about lost my mind, but uh, I love you, Mark. <laughs> and then uh, it was definitely one of those moments where I thought we're, we're trying to beat a. Uh, a square peg into a round hole here a little bit, but that's okay. It was a good. Did it work? Experience. Did it make it on the track? Um, it did, um, and then unfortunately, as I recall, with that track, somehow my bass drum part got deleted, so I had to go in and just uh, recut the bass drum part, and that's a real challenge too. When you, did you separate... play with your foot, yeah, just just my oh, foot. Wow. And without anything else, and that's really, really, really hard to do. Wow. Because I think uh, for me, you know, when you're playing a groove, all your limbs are moving. Um, There's kind of a flow to what you're doing. Uh, When you take away three of those limbs and isolate the one, you're like, wow, I really suck. You you begin to to realize because you're focused on just the one limb instead of the fact that all four are going. Uh, And it really, it was a... um, it was kind of terrifying and probably not one of my finest moments in the studio. Uh, but and needless to say, I wasn't happy to begin with that um, my dynamite bass drum track had gotten deleted to begin with. Anyway. You could have transcended the fourth grade me and one mallet. <laughs> I needed to channel you. That's what Dude. I needed to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's how long so were you uh, now? How long were you in Nashville? Um, I believe altogether, I, I initially moved there for all of about six months in 1993 with the 
intent that Garth Brooks was going to hire me. I was just bound and determined that that was going to happen. Um, my, what a fool I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but out of that, I, I did start getting cruise ship gigs. And okay. in the interest of paying rent <laughs> and trying to keep playing and et cetera, et cetera, I took the cruise ship gigs. Um, and, you know, I would say there's a lot of schools of thought about education running around out there right now for folks uh, thinking about, is it worth it to go to college? Is it not um, as a musician? Because quite frankly, the piece of paper that your diploma uh, you know, you might as well wipe your ass with it for what it's worth, quite frankly. Um, I did find when I moved to Nashville that it was almost the attitude, the prevailing attitude in a lot of the touring groups was, if you went to college, keep your mouth shut about it. They didn't mm, want to know that you were a educated human being by any means. They yeah. wanted you to just have come off of grandpa's porch picking in a grinning yeah, <laughs> instead yeah, yeah. of, you know, having gone to a music school and studied uh, in a formal setting. Um, but I, I never did finish college. Uh, I did go for two years. Uh, but I do like to say that I, I spent about a year and a half on one particular cruise ship with a, a band leader who was incredibly influential. Um, so I joke that I may not have finished, you know, formal college, but I did finish at the university of Andre Rice <laughs> and Andre is a fantastic, uh, trumpet player from the Atlanta area. Um, he still uh, plays with the Count Basie Orchestra to this day. Oh, cool. That's really nice. uh, you know, that was like you know his dream gig, and boom, he he ended up getting on the band, and um, uh, you know Clayton Cameron's playing drums on the band with him, yes. which does not suck at all. No. Uh, so you know we we still keep in touch. Uh, it was a totally different perspective, uh, and it, it it did make me. Um, start using my ears in a different way Mm. uh it also um he really i think helped ground my my time and my my groove my pulse my awareness of a lot of that especially the um elusive inner clock Mm. (laughs) and uh you know we really um we connected in a in a a very deep way musically Uh, he turned me on to a lot of music that that i hadn't been aware of yet um that probably had I finished college, I probably would have mm. gotten into some of that stuff there. So it was just a different way of going about it. Uh, but I was getting to see the world uh, and working on my skills every day, especially reading chops. The cruise ship thing was so good in that respect because we were playing a different show every night. We'd right. get the charts that day, yeah. read them down in a rehearsal that night, right. and play two shows that night. And, uh, you know, that one particular band with him, there were seven of us in the group, and that group was together for about a year and a half. That's amazing. It for, really is yeah. rare that you'll find that, yeah. especially on the cruise ship scene, but we all enjoyed playing with each other so much and getting so much out of the experience mm-hmm. that um, it was really worth it to keep it going for all of us yeah. for that long. And, uh, you know, by the time we left, uh, every one of us could sight read down most any chart yeah, that was yeah. tossed in front of us any style didn't really matter yeah. uh and that was those were incredible skills to then take to nashville now obviously with the number system um it took me just a little while to transfer right. my knowledge of of normal charts <laughs> normal sorry <laughs> that's not what i'm but you know what i'm well, just uh, Traditional notation. Traditional notation, exactly. Sure. Versus the number chart. And, you know, then I would get in on these songwriter demo sessions in Nashville where there'd be like, 
you know, six guys on the floor, all of us cutting at the same time with a stack of 20 charts in front of us and, and three hours to get them all done in. And it's like, count it off, go, you know. Yes, just... but to be able to follow a chart mm-hmm. and play music at the same time, like really perform music is a skill. And I don't mm-hmm. care if it's traditional notation, if it's handwritten, printed on a computer, if it's the number system, whatever. Um to be able to, as Von Weister says, get your head out of the chart and play music. <laughs> right. Because the music isn't on the paper. It's in yeah. your hands. It's the musician's interpretation of what's on the page, right, essentially. Right, right. But to be able to follow it and use your ears at the same time. Your brain mm-hmm. is working on so many different ways that why learn to read? Why do the big pen thing? Why learn charts? You know, when am I ever gonna use this? Well, there's your example right there. Was, it was very important um, and still is to this day. Setting a band up, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff, but in a rock sense or a pop or a country sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, even right now I'm in uh, preparation this week for a musical that opens this week. It'll be nice. running for the next month. And so, you know, trying to get my mallet chops back, marimba. Seriously. I just, I just bought a marimba here about two weeks ago. And, oh, and you know, fun. that's like a... I haven't played since college, so it's been one of those things I've been dying to get back into um, and to challenge myself with that. And uh, so it's an entirely different discipline, obviously, in the musical realm. Um, And they've even got us on stage. We're not in the pit, as normally would be the case in a musical setting. So um, I have pulled out the Neil Peart rig with... Peart, did I say that correctly? I think so, yes. I don't want to disrespect the man, the professor. Uh, so <laughs> um, I, uh, I've i got the 360 set going with, you know, the normal drum set up front. You've got to send a the, picture, man. The marimba. I, I think I've even got one on the phone. Um, yeah, marimba, the bells. We've got to put that on the website. Gong, wind chimes. Um, unfortunately, um, my rolling hand sonic took a dump in the rehearsal the other night. Uh. And I was only using it for some bongo sounds and a few things percussion-wise that I didn't want to necessarily drag out to the show. Yeah. But Really bongo sounds? Or yeah. are you just saying bongo, meaning conga? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they actually, and this is the crazy thing. In this particular score, there are several instruments that I have been requested mm-hmm. that I've never been requested before. Um, first of all and foremost, the China symbol. There is actual parts for a China symbol in the score. Wow. Which, what, is the, what is the play, by the way? Um, it is actually a Stephen Sondheim review called Putting It Together, which is a collection of songs from all of his different okay. musicals, yeah. Into the Woods, and I don't know. I'm not a big musical guy, okay. but... But right, but but that's uh, who it is. His name is very yeah. People I should think know his people name. should yeah. know his name. Right, right. I right. should know his name. I don't know, yeah. but I should. I uh, but it's been a fun. It's a whole different discipline uh, because you're following a conductor. You know, normally as the drummer, at least from my experience, we're driving the bus. You know, there may be somebody up there playing lead guitar, singing lead vocals, or whatever. However, we're the ones that are yeah that are driving the machine. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. we are the engine. Um, but you and, have a director in this situation. Yeah, in this situation, there's a woman playing piano that's the conductor. So okay. I have to follow her. She's following the actors. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of the uh, you know the telephone game going on by the right. time it gets to me. Yeah. And, of course, the drummer still gets all the blame whenever anything goes wrong. It's just, <laughs> you know, we're the last to know and, and yet the first to get blamed for what went wrong. That's the way it rolls. But uh, it has been um, fun putting it together. 
uh, very talented folks. Um, so that's, that's, that's cool. And I, I like getting the opportunity to go and do that sort of thing every now and then just to challenge myself. Can you connect the dots from yeah. moving to Nashville, what you did there and up to now, sure. what you're doing now? Um, yeah. Um, I moved to Nashville and I do have to say that, um, big props to Winona Judd of all folks and uh, big fan of hers at the time she had just gone solo uh, was really, you know, kind of getting herself going with that and having great success. Um, my wife at the time and I had gone to a church to kind of check out churches in the area. We wanted to find a church home to go to. And uh, this particular Sunday, uh, Winona happened to be there um, as a, I believe she was a regular attender of this particular mm-hmm. place. Anyway, after the service, you know, I had no idea she was going to be there by any means, but, um, uh, she was surrounded by folks pitching her songs and oh my gosh. it was, it was just horrifying to watch this uh. going on as she's like trying to just leave church and get to her car oh, and, and me being brand new to town still was like, I'm still going to go talk to her. <laughs> and she could not have been more gracious, more sincere, more genuine and caring, um, which just knocked me away even more. I, I mean, I, I still to this day remember her saying to me and my, my ex-wife, how are your hearts now that you've moved here and you're in the midst of the struggle and yeah. figuring out how the heck am I going to get this done? Yeah. And I was just like, wow, I, I really was blown away by that. Now, at the time, I had, I had known a guy for a few years um, uh, that had moved to town several years prior to me. Um, and I, I thought he had been playing with her. We really hadn't been in touch for a few years, but um, I thought he had been playing with her, and I, I asked her about him, to which I found out that not only was he still playing with her, but he was her band leader uh, and supposedly her favorite member of the band. <laughs> so okay. the story goes. Okay. But anyway, she said, well, y- y- you have to call Harry. You have to do it. So... I was like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to call Harry. And that's exactly what I did. And Harry goes, dude, I can't believe that you just called me. He goes, I just got off the road with Eddie Raven. What was Harry's last name? Harry Sharp. Okay. And uh, Harry's worked with Donna Summer and Mm -hmm. and a whole host of folks. And he's just a a truly talented man. Um, Anyway, he, he said, I just got off the road. You know, I was out subbing with Eddie Raven for the weekend and they need a new drummer. Um, he goes, let me, uh, let me call, uh, the road manager and the band leader and let me get the, the ball rolling. Yeah. So within about 45 minutes, I get calls from the road manager, the band leader, and also another drummer friend of mine who used to play with Eddie that I knew, uh, and we hadn't talked in a while either. So it was an opportunity to kind of, first of all, catch up with all those folks, yeah. let them know that I was in town. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, they set up an audition, and boom, I spent I know, about three and a half years, I guess, with Eddie. Yeah, but, but I like the way you tell – I like how that story leads up to this gig that ended up being three and a half years on the road yeah. with, with an artist. That yeah. Was great. It, you was know, it was fantastic. great. It was fantastic. Yeah, just n- not being afraid to approach um, Winona. Yeah. You know, it it the got church. the ball rolling. Yeah. And, and I, would I do that today? Never. 
Absolutely not. I, I figured out a little bit more about uh, how to behave in Nashville <laughs> and going through proper channels. However, However I did, did see it as an opportunity yeah. that I needed to seize. I yeah. just felt like if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. Yeah. And I would have. I yeah. sure would have because it did start opening the doors and get the ball rolling yeah. for me in town, which was uh, it's, it's the door I needed to kick yeah. down. And it, it did get things going. Um, it led me to, I probably toured pretty solidly for my first 10 years in town. Uh, towards the end of that, I had started working with some other groups in town groups. Um, uh, the Burning Las Vegas band with Brian, which right. I, you, you know, you, you went out and subbed in that group for me. I subbed many times. groups. And going oh, back, oh, yeah, even Eddie. Well, Eddie Raven, I mean, you, that gig led to my first road gig, mm-hmm. um, was Eddie, and I did that for a year. It's so interesting, too. I think about the fact that I had been in town for, you know, three and a half years, four years, I guess, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew guys, mm-hmm. but it's like when that was coming open, you know, anytime. I don't know. I guess we all get our guys that we feel most comfortable with. And I certainly felt comfortable in recommending you for that. You know what I mean? And it's been that way with a lot of gigs where I've, I've gone out of going, I don't know if you're interested, Matt. However, I'm leaving. If you're interested, I'll get you in on the, you sent so much work my way, man. And I, I, unfortunately, I wish I could have repaid you. And there was, I think a couple of times I tried to get you on things that you were already slammed. Yeah. But man, you really, there's like three people in town that were constantly throwing me work, and and you were one of them. And, and me and working with Eddie, I met Mike Uvula, sure, that led to Savannah, Savannah Jack. Jack. So yeah. I mean, you know, so it's 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 amazing how that that family tree of gigs leads down, you know, to that one route, and you're like, absolutely, how is that that is really weird when you trace back, but you never know. Yeah. What thing is going to lead to another? Right. You know, uh, how one phone call, one meeting is going to change your direction. Yeah. Altogether. It's wild. I, I remember um, getting, I remember driving to bus call one time and Sarah Evans, Born to Fly, came on the radio. Yeah. For those of you who know that, in the Matt Chamberlain groove at the beginning, is just, mm. I had to pull over on the side of the highway. I was like, what the fuck was that <laughs> and i and i was like i just want to replay it and i, I can't because it's on the radio i bought that record because yeah, of that song it, so did i yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think a lot of us drummers and musicians probably did yeah. and a couple years down the road i was uh in rehearsals with another artist for warner brothers and uh his producer um came in and the same guy who produced the sarah evans record mm-hmm. and um uh anyway i we got we took a break and he comes over to me and says you really remind me a lot of matt chamberlain Ugh. and at that point i thought i think i may just sell all my gear and retire now because really i it doesn't really get a whole lot better than that does it so yeah. um but I, you know I, I think about some of those moments that i did have in nashville where i was like i i made the right choice in coming here yeah. i've done the apparently i've done the right things to get myself in a place where I'm around these kind of folks and I'm making these kind of connections and relationships. Um, and I really enjoyed my time tremendously. I do feel, unfortunately, as I'm probably sure you've seen, you've seen the incredible shift in the industry and what's happened in the music industry and how difficult, uh, things are for an artist to get off the ground and stay off the ground. Yeah. Uh, keep, 
keep music that's interesting and and uh, and if the uh, artist the crowd is having, interesting, and if the artist is having a difficult time, the band members are going to have a difficult time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I and I think that uh, uh, that has caused. Um, even more instability than we musicians typically experience anyway. So for me, I finally got to a point where I said, you know, I think, I think I've done everything I really wanted to do here. Were they all successful? No. Mm -hmm. But did I take my stab at it? Hell yeah. Yeah. And then some. Yeah. Um, So I felt a change come on over myself about five years ago. Um, I had been dating a woman long distance, uh, who lived out here in Colorado. Um, and typically she was coming to visit me simply because I couldn't leave town. Yeah. When I left, I was doing upwards of around 500 gigs a year, you know, and it yeah. was uh, intense in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get to see my family, um, hardly got to see friends. I mean, shoot, you, you know, you think about how much time you and I spend in Nashville together and how many times did we actually get to hang out? Very little, unfortunately. It, it, the, the few times was for me to come watch you play to get ready to sub for you. <laughs> you know? Right. And they, man, come check out this gig. You can get a feel for the flow of the show. And, you know, you don't have to do it exactly like I do, but, you know, you get a feel for it. And then, uh, you know, cool. And then your sister was in town and you guys came out and hung out. Oh, that's right. Uh, one night. And it was just kind of a just a fluke it wasn't it was unplanned yeah but that's the way it works yeah and i do remember one night popping my head into the stage and i could have sworn that the drummer on stage was you yes i could have sworn it was you had a baseball cap it's frank cooden yes sweetheart and and frank i apologize buddy but i gave you the finger thinking it was matt it was and it wasn't uh you were very kind to give me the finger back much love and respect to you and i hope you're doing well um but being frank but frank being who he is (laughs) probably thought this is fun (laughs) this is fun i know that's great um tell me quickly what you're doing here yeah so i am um well, first of all, of course, I split my time with a lot of groups like I always have. Uh, I like the variety. Yeah. Um, so I do work with a, uh, a fairly large uh, horn band out of Denver nice. uh, called the Tent Show Kings. Um, you know, and I, I would say this. I mean, I'm, it's not, we're not playing Madison Square Garden, uh, but um, it pays as good as some of those <laughs> better paying artist gigs pay so it's one of those that pays the bills and i'm playing that two and four through the floor and having a ball doing it because it's a good band um good musicians and uh so that's enjoyable um i do get to to freelance on some jazz things every now and then um i have a hard rock band that i'm getting to play all my favorite 80s hair metal with so two kick drums two kick drums brother two kick drums two up two down and a large cowbell and loving every minute of that. That's a lot of fun to get to do. You know, playing hot for teacher finally with a band that can play it. Oh you know, gosh. things like that. That you know, I learned how to play when I was sixteen, but nobody else could. So I was just playing with myself. And and I've learned over the years that that gets boring after a while. I'm a little boring in that department. Wow. But I I um um I also uh, um I have a little trio, an original rock trio. Uh, with a bass player and guitar player friend of mine, we finished some tracks uh, in June up at a place called The Blasting Room in Fort Collins, which is pretty well known more for its 
punk rock groups that come through there. Uh, groups like Rise Against have done all their records there. Um, and so I think it was a little different for them having us come in there uh, where, you know, I'm playing brushes on some things and, mm. and, and uh, not full tilt, you know, straight up your ass rock. It was yeah. uh, definitely more dynamic. No offense, uh, but a little more dynamics going on sure. with some things. And a really fun project to get to record. Um, that's in the process right now of getting edited. In fact, some, some buds in Nashville are What's working What's the name on, of that band? <laughs> Firing Neurons. Firing Neurons. <laughs> or we're maybe just going to call ourselves the F and Morons. It's one or the other, you know. Uh, we're, we're, we're debating. Call in now. Place your vote. <laughs> that's right. What's uh, it going to be? Thumbs up? Fi- anyway, but, uh, but th- so those groups are all keeping me very well balanced. And then I also, I do teach privately. Um, and I'm <laughs> in my spare time. Um, I'm the music director uh, for a uh, private lesson teaching studio where we also have some student bands that I supervise those groups, um, working with them. And um, gosh, serve at the worship team at my church, which is cool. It's a lot of fun. But um, you're here in Denver. Right? I'm actually, I live in North Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, just about, I'm about 45 minutes to Denver, so it's not okay. very far. Okay. And I spend more time in Denver than I do in the sure. Springs. Sure. Uh, I'm playing there tonight uh, with the Tent Show Kings, and uh, we'll be uh, cramming out all your favorite Bruno Mars and um, nice. Motown hits for the folks. But essentially, <laughs> you're outside a quote-unquote music town, and you're juggling several different things and yeah. making it work. I'm every bit as busy as I was in Nashville, and by far. And you're with your woman yeah, here get, yeah. in beautiful Colorado. Yeah, I get to ski. Um, you know, I played last weekend in Telluride up on the side of a mountain. That's uh, where we are now, man. Yes. It's awesome. We have about two minutes left. All right. And I want you to tell me real quick, yeah. and I wish we had more time, Yes. but I don't know how related it is to drumming or anything like that. <laughs> but people should know that... You're in a video with Sheryl Crow and Kid Rock. <laughs> yes. But they may not notice. They may not. You are playing the part of Kid Rock. Yes. And what, what song was that? Um, the song was called Collide. It yeah. was the second duet that they did together. Picture was a really big hit for them. Right. So this is the second this one. This was the second one they did, I don't know, a record or two after the one that Picture was on. Yeah. And I got a call uh, one day, actually, from uh, the mother of a friend of ours, Mike Foster. Um, his mom, Evelyn, works for a talent agency there in Nashville that said, you know, my son tells me you look a little like Kid Rock. Would you be interested at all in coming and do this, this video as a body double? And I thought, that's eh, not really what I do. And she, I said, how much does it pay? <laughs> and so she told me, and I said, well, I'll go to the audition. That's fine. So I show up at the audition, and, and there's a lineup of 10 or 12 guys out there, none of which look like Kid Rock at all. I mean, absolutely none. Uh, and the casting smelled director. Smelled like him. Yeah, they, they didn't even smell like him. I, I, you know, I was, <laughs> they, they all smelled like they'd had a shower. No offense, brother. Uh, but they... Um, Anyway, the casting director comes out, takes a look at the, everybody in the hallway and looks at me and goes, guys, you can all go home. Nice. And I went in and I had to do a little reading uh, with another gal that they were considering for the, the part of Cheryl Crow. Yeah. Uh, I'd never done anything like that before. I'm not an actor. I bang on stuff for a living. You know, <laughs> give me a break. So I felt rather foolish. But the guy told me at the end, he goes, look, don't do a thing. Don't shower. Don't shave. Don't brush your hair. Don't do anything. Show up Monday morning, 10 a.m. at 
the five spot. And I was like, okay, I guess I got the gig. So I show up uh, Monday morning. I walk in. He's there with the video director and his manager, and his manager can't tell us apart. I mean, he's doing the, the d- double take, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and it's just weird. I mean, it's just That's it's funny. just weird. Yeah. So I go off to my trailer then where apparently they had another guy they'd brought in. They were still looking at other guys, I guess, and they were putting extensions in this poor guy's hair and everything else trying to get him to look like him. Uh, they spent another hour or so with him, I guess. And then they brought the two of us in there and the video director was like, why, why are we even talking about this? He said, you know, thank you for coming out, man. But you know, the other guys, he's, it looks just like him. We got to go with him. So, and they brought some girl up from, um, from Atlanta, um, to play the part of Cheryl Crow, sweet girl, but she didn't look anything like her. Just, Mm. just my thoughts on it. And apparently the rest of them thought that too, because when we came back from lunch, she was gone. And so Cheryl was having to do a lot more of the, uh, the shooting. Um, and they, they had a, the gal that did my hair, (laughs) And they put a wig on her for some of the shots too. Uh, this poor girl who did my hair, they they she chopped on it for a good couple of hours. She thinned it out. She did. She That's wanted it. They they wanted it to yeah. look as thin and greasy yeah. looking as his did. And she kept going back from his bus to my trailer to his bus, kind of you know oh, checking okay. pictures to see if she was close. So finally, after two hours, she's like, I, I I can't do this to your hair anymore. I'm I'm done. She said, but I do need you to shave your chest. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I put this like dry soap on in my chest. And if any of you have been in a bus bathroom, you know, they're kind of tight quarters. So I'm in there trying to shave my chest. I do not recommend you ever shave your chest ever, ever, ever. It was so bad for so many months afterwards. But anyway, so we're doing the shoot. I'm actually on stage with his band. They're looking at me like, what did they do to your hair? <laughs> I talked with Stephanie, his drummer beforehand. Got yeah, to know her yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And, and uh, you know some of the guys in the band, and um, I was like, you know, this is not really what I do, guys. I'm actually a drummer for my living, but right. today I get to play the role of your boss. So there you go. Well, um, and man, I got to. I, I know you got to run. Role, so I told. I did want to share this real quick. I, I did have to dance with Cheryl, um, and I. It was terrifying. Um, I was on stage with her even, and I'm, I've got his guitar on, and I'm looking at her going, "So you want to jam on something?" She's looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> So there you go. So I think the video was up for some awards, but I'm not Kid Rock, y'all. I'm just Josh. But it was. What's the name of the song again? Yeah, Collide is the name of the video. Collide, you got to watch the video. the official Collide video. It's me dancing with her at the end. You and can didn't see Kid me. Try to, Kid Rock try to get you and say, no, grab her Yeah, butt. he was like, you got to grab her ass where I had my hand. You can even see me tapping two and four on her back. That's how I know That's that it's how you, me. Then, that, there you go. There's the Between that and my nose. <laughs> but I want people to know more about what you've been doing and, and stuff, but we'll get Love those it. pictures and I want to pick, see a picture of your, your, uh, theater setup. <laughs> That's gotta be great, man. Yeah, I mean, crazy. just everything is just all over the map yeah. uh, with what you're doing. And uh, it's, it's just, it's a blast, man. It's, it's it really cool. It's it really is. Cool. Music business has been real good and, uh, you know, and real hard, but yeah, mostly real good. Oh man, I appreciate you driving My out pleasure, to, to see me. You know, so and good. talk with me. I mean, God, I don't know anybody that's known me longer than you. <laughs> so I appreciate you, man. I love you, man. Yeah, I love you too, man. For right. sure. Thanks, Thanks bud. Man. Yeah. See hey, so there you go. There is my interview, such as it was, uh, very brief with Josh Berkheimer. Uh, if you didn't notice, uh, Josh and I go way back. 
Uh, we've known each other since we were about nine or ten, and uh, he knew me before I picked up a pair of sticks, and there aren't too many people in my world that have known me that long. I am so grateful to him to make the drive up from south of Denver to Copper Mountain where I was playing, and it was just great to see him and hang. It was uh, quicker than our normal interviews, but I hope that um, everyone enjoyed it as much as I did. I want to take some time to let you all know that uh, we've been asked to participate in the Nashville Drummer Jam. They've done six so far. They pick a drummer and do a tribute. Uh, There was a two-page spread in Modern Drummer magazine about the Neil Peart tribute not too long ago. Uh, There was a tribute to Stuart Copeland. And there is one in December. December 14th is the 7th Nashville Drummer Jam. And the drummer that they're going to do a tribute to is to be announced. They're keeping it a secret, kind of build up some uh, energy there, and then make an announcement, I think, mid-October. So we're real excited to participate in that. Pre-interviews, rehearsal um, before the show and during the show, we're going to have just lots of backstage footage and video and YouTube stuff and some other interviews. So look forward to that want to take some time and thank Mike Jackson again for helping me get this stuff up and uh, getting it rolling. Appreciate him so much. Lastly, I want to uh, read a review from somebody on iTunes. Uh, This comes from Austin HT. He wrote this back in August. He writes, solid, gives us five stars. That was really awesome. And he writes, What makes this podcast outstanding is the approach. He's not interviewing superstars, but the solid core of musicians who are putting in the hard work. It's great for hobbyists, but especially applicable to those who are working as a drummer or aspiring to do so. Subscribe, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. That's cool. I like that. Please subscribe. Let us know what you think. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We love the feedback. Thanks, y'all, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.